0: Well, welcome to the Situation Report for October 18th, 2023. It's Lieutenant Colonel Murray. Uh, I'm going to be, I'm joined by Trooper. I'm going to have Lieutenant Colonel Conrad on for the round table that has become the tradition every Wednesday now. And there's Colonel Conrad right here. Um, the, this round has become the tradition now for every Wednesday. And believe it or not, we're getting asked a lot. I some administrative notes before we get started we have a hard stop here at six o'clock all of us have a a bunch of things going on outside of this but we'll uh we'll pick it up monday i had a about a two-hour conversation yesterday with michael yawn and the darien gap and uh, matt bracken and it was it was a it was a really interesting call because it's very fortuitous to um to have that call and and the interesting the interesting side of the call was that Matt Bracken has written several books and he's been on Alex Jones. He's been, he's been in a variety of different venues, um, for the past, I don't know, 10 years. And he's, he's literally been on and off TV. And uh, so anyway, Michael, Michael Yon and I had been trading texts for about a week and I finally just called him yesterday and, the the interesting side of the conversation was that every five minutes we would get disconnected and then every four minutes then every three minutes then every two minutes and i finally said to him i'm going to break contact after this because this is this is the agency telling us they don't want us to talk and he chuckled and he said really i go yeah there's a tool that does this and it, it sets your time out and it's it's funny because it, it was like five five times at five minutes four times of four minutes, three times a three minutes, two times a two minutes. It was just like a countdown. It was too funny. But um, Mike, Michael Yon is, he's well-versed in what's going on with the World Economic Forum. And he blew my mind today as well as yesterday because he sees the exact same thing that we have been talking about for the past several months. And he sees it from a global perspective. Two years ago, it's what a year and a half ago, troop, or two years ago, you did your threat analysis and you talked about how Panama Canal was a massive blunder for us to give up.
1: Yeah, about a year and a half ago, I did that.
0: And when you and I published it to the channel, the Telegram channel, and it what was interesting about it was that it was so spot on. And Michael Yawn confirmed it today. And here's some other things that he confirmed too. So the world economic forum via the UN has precipitated this mass migration pretty much everywhere, not just here. And they're destabilizing almost every country in Central America and South America. And that the flood of migrants has turned into a river that we just can't stop. And Even if we stop it now, there's so many holes in the, in the fence that it would be um, a fruitless effort at this point. And what's interesting is he said that he's flown over all the housing developments that they've moved a lot of these migrants into. And what they're doing is they're moving them in, they're giving them low interest loans. And then as soon as you know, and they're paying them um, public assistance. So as soon as they don't make their payments, they take the house back. So they're screwing them just like they're screwing us, but they're, they're, They're double and triple screwing the illegals they're bringing across. Because they're bringing them across. They're telling them they're going to have this great life. They come across. They get about three to four months of subsistence. And then they get screwed. So they got screwed coming up here. They got screwed on the way here. Then they got screwed when they got here. Then they get double screwed when they get here. Because they think they're going to have this good deal. And it turns out they don't. Which is interesting because I hadn't dug into that. And the the other interesting thing he said was that they're flooding the Panama Canal area with migrants and they're building roads in and that the 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 rail system between Antwerp and Shanghai is the same rail system they're going to put in from South America up to North America they're building the geographic economic zones that I talked about for 3 years now that this is the end state they want to reach and then he talked about the the number of military age males and Chinese regulars that are coming across. We had that discussion. So I'll post the interview tomorrow so you get a chance to listen to it. i suggest you listen to it because it's it's about an hour. It's very, very, very in-depth. And we discussed the surface. Um, but the other thing that he sees too is that, you know, there's no way out of kinetic now and we're not making it to 24. Both of them, literally both, he and Matt Bracken said that exactly the same time last night when we were talking on the phone that there's no way out now and look we're not a captured operation Washington DC is a captured operation the state some of the states are captured operations but we as a country are not a, a we're not a captured operation and their plan is not going to succeed let me say it again their plan is not going to succeed I've I've been through this a number of times, but he does confirm that the Chinese and the World Economic Forum are working together. And you've heard me talk about marriages of convenience. And what always happens in a marriage of convenience between thieves, somebody tries to screw somebody else over. And that's usually where things go sideways. We haven't seen that yet because they're still doing the logistics of building all this network of trade routes to all the keep. the the key trade zones in both Europe and North America. So they're still busy doing that. And they're still busy institutionalizing the movement of people um, around the the world into the U.S. Either way it goes, communists are good at infiltration. They're good at intelligence gathering. They're good at disinformation, but they suck at complex operations. And at some point, this will trip them up. But here's the other piece too because of alternative media we have tripped up their plans and we have them reacting to us now which is which is very very important and i've said it before i'll say it again the more noise that we generate the more we disrupt their plans the more we bring their their nefarious activities to light the better off we're going to be because then we drive the system to collapse without that without firing a shot now the other thing that they now both of them asked me yesterday what are my, what's my impression of the Israel situation? And I said, this is a planned event. This was planned by the CIA and Mossad, probably with Iran's blessing. So they, they could expand the war and everyone sees through it. Everyone, even they both said the same thing: It's a planned event, bunch of BS. Now they're going to stage a false flag with some kind of Islamic terrorist here. And we'll, we'll be off to the races. They, they both think the same thing. So, we're this this crowd, even though you know I don't have two hundred million followers, everyone sees the same thing. They see right through this this facade. And believe it or not, as much as that sounds like it's frustrating, That's the best news you could hear all day because it means people are waking up. People are awake to the lie. They've always banked on the fact that they could lead us along with this drama in Washington, D.C., with all this this messaging through all of our social media and through all of our news agencies and through movies, and we would just blindly go into the gas chamber. And this is the one place that I'm going to give the Q movement credit. The, The unintended consequence of the Q movement was the deep research that Anons have done from. Early 2017 until now that has exposed all these marriages of convenience, all these these complex networks and interrelationships and incestuous relationships between all of these elites in every single country, the ties back to Jeffrey Epstein, the, the ties back to Mossad. The money linkages between Mossad and the Clinton Foundation, as well as between the Clinton Foundation and Epstein and all the oligarchs in the, in the Zika stands and the stands. They've done all that research and they've been able to show and link where the money goes. How do you think Glenn Beck came up with this massive diagram where all of these different um, agencies, associations, companies, etc., were linked together? He didn't get it by himself. He got it from, from the Anon crowd that had put all this research together and put it online in 4chan, now 8 that allowed him to pull all that research and then go establish those links through the SEC and other things using his team. But because of that research, we outed hundreds, and I mean hundreds of elite and bureaucrats across the spectrum that were not expecting the average citizen to do that research. That was a massive disruption to their information campaign. And then on top of that, you're seeing this massive movement of people real time to debunk what's going on. So now it used to be six months from conspiracy theory to reality. Now it's a matter of minutes or hours. That put them on their heels. And because it put them on their heels, they're reacting and they've accelerated their plans, which will cause them to trip up. And their own arrogance will drive them into some kind of catastrophic mistake. It's just a matter of time. That's why they won't be successful. Their arrogance will be their undoing. All right. So I got that out of the way. Sure, you we talked briefly before the show. Um, I want you to repeat what you were saying to me when we first uh, got online.
1: Uh So I've been kind of around social media. I have had a a pretty kind of cool thing happen this week. And Romanov, who's a correspondent in Russia, asked me to admin and head up his U.S. channel. So I've been talking to Russians, Ukrainians, uh, Polish, pretty much everybody in Europe and Eastern Europe for a while. And a lot of it's just doing threat assessment and analysis because part of that is getting as close to the community or the area that you want to analyze and try to talk to people that actually live there, right? So you get kind of a feel for what other people are thinking and what other people are seeing, and also get kind of a, a sense or a smell of the type of propaganda that they're getting as well. You can pretty easily tell a free thinker from a media drone. And what I was telling Steve is that the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is a bridge too far for so many people and especially in Russia, because remember, a lot of Jews were Russian. My grandfather was a Polish Jew that escaped to the United States through Russia uh, during the Second World War. And there is a lot of connection back to what people refer to as a Holy Land, which is this contested place, right? But having these conversations everybody is seeing the same thing with the pravda we had i mean like martin luther with the catholic church you can only have a bible read to you and he's like no i think everybody should have a bible they killed the guy because they're like no this is our single source of truth we're going to tell you what's going on and you you're not smart enough to be able to figure it out for yourself and then we had Johann gutenberg come along and just just blast that paradigm of you know Pravda right out of the right out of the water So we've done the same thing as Steve said with Hollywood narratives, we're going to have all these feel good movies, or we're going to try to shape your opinion with music, and then the mainstream media, and then corporate media, which is Facebook, Google, Twitter, all of this is designed to get people to kind of go group think. And with the alternative media, people are talking. And with auto translators, people can talk all across the world in real time. This Happened or started happening, I'd say about 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, with these uh, mo- massive multi online player games. And you couldn't communicate with people in 30 different languages, but you had these emotes or you had these uh, hotkeys, or like in amateur radio, you have what are called Q codes. And it's a, a not a, a with like Q, what you're talking about, like QRM for interference or QSY for change channel. These uh, Q codes have been around for, forever in amateur radio. And it allows people who speak different languages to immediately have a common language that they can share and, uh, you know, coordinate, collaborate, and communicate. Everybody's talking and everybody goes, you know what, this is bullshit. This is fucking bullshit. The, the, the original immigration problem of our, our century or, you know, modern times was when the Jewish people were leaving Europe and then they were going back to the holy land of palestine and it was the arabs that were there and the brits were in charge at the time and the arabs are like what are all these immigrants doing here we don't want these people here they were just going through the you know the breakup of the ottoman empire after world war one the british were double dealing with the arabs and the and the italians and then the jews came and they were like well we're going to give you something but we won't tell the arabs about it and then they would say the same thing to the arabs basically what happened in palestine is i blame it on Great britain They lost control of the region and then they bailed out and they left a shit show in their wake. And then you could, you could talk about everything that happened after that, but they never resolved an issue that could have been resolved. And a lot of people have made money on that issue, mainly ugly and the defense industrial con, you know, complex, but talking with people all across the world, but mainly in, in Russia and Eastern Europe and Poland and Germany, they're pissed because they see this as nothing more than, what i what i said last week you do not have to choose sides in a war that somebody else created especially since that somebody else has armed both sides of that conflict and that somebody else has fomented and and ginned up all of the angst on both sides of that conflict and people are seeing it and people are saying you know what maybe if you give israel less weapons they would have worked out their shit. but you cannot have a negotiation when one of the parties can't negotiate from a position of of level uh, playing field or a position of strength. right? You have to have some kind of equality in a negotiation where both parties can come to the table. And both parties usually come away from the table with something they want and something that they had to give up. That's negotiation. You can't do that when you literally have an outdoor prison. And Gaza is what? It's like five miles wide and like 25 or 30 miles long. So it's 150 square miles. That's pushed all the way up to Egypt. Nobody wants, Egypt doesn't want these guys. None of the Arab world wants these Palestinian refugees. They have nowhere to go because they have the sea and they have death if they cross the border. They have death if they try to go into uh, Egypt. And their only negotiation is we have to kiss Israel's ass or they're going to blow us up with F-16s. That's fucking bullshit. Everybody's seeing it. Everybody's pissed. I had three conversations today. Two of them with American soldiers, one of them was an Afghanistan veteran, the other one was an Iraq veteran, and the other one was a Russian, you know, just a Russian Cold War veteran. And all of us came to the same conclusion. Every single thing that we thought we were fighting for turned out to be fucking bullshit. It's one thing when you like when we went into Iraq and we had this bad guy and he was abusing people and we kicked his ass and we liberated the population. Soldiers don't mind dying for that. I mean, not that they want to, but they don't mind putting their lives on the line if they think that what they're doing is defending their homeland or protecting someone who's weaker than them that deserves a chance at freedom. And what we found is, and this isn't just the United States, but this is Russia, this is China, this is Iran, is these countries have been sending their soldiers to war for fucking bullshit that they created. And then they, you know, through the through the use of Pravda, through the use of controlled media, pumped up these soldiers in whatever sense of, you know, what's going to get to your your sense of nationalism. We're going to have a new army of one commercial. Now you can be a warrior. What are you really fucking fighting for? And people are finally starting to talk about it. Because they can cross language barriers now with alternative media, real-time translation. You go, you know what? I think that's bullshit too, dude. I just thought that you were a cocksucking American and I just I didn't even I didn't even want to talk to you. But now that we're having this dialogue, you know what? You're seeing a lot of the same things I'm seeing. And then all well, this- of a sudden people start joining the conversation. That's happening globally. This is the power of, of empathy. It's the power of
0: crossing the outs, the power of a human connection. This is why I've been saying it. Because this this dialogue, it's, it's like the conversation I had with the, the gal at uh, the grocery store in Seattle months back, where she realized in one minute that the only difference between the two of us was our, our political views, not our view of the world. And our view of the world was the same. It's just politically, we viewed it through a different lens. And When, when people finally get that, they realize that everybody wants the same thing. They just want to live their life. They want to enjoy their family. They want to put food on the table, and they don't want to be messed with. And this, this—if anything that has come out of this, this facade—that is this, this conflict in Gaza—it's that the plan all along was to move the move the Palestinians out and move them to the U.S. like Obama did with the Somalis in Milwaukee, that created um, Ilhan Omar and that whole mess and their election mess he wants to do the same thing here only he wants to move into texas and create a palestinian enclave and michael yawn talked about that today where they bring their indigenous language with them they never changed their language which is exactly what happened i think it's minnesota where the the, the small enclave is it's just one of many he's done it in west virginia he's done it in all these different countries and people saw right through it immediately and the best part of that conversation is that everybody's starting to realize that the people that were that are getting, you know, that are getting the brunt of the visceral reaction from the public are the wrong people. The people we should be going after is the World Economic Forum, guys like Bill Gates. And I I'll be honest with you, I don't know why that motherfucker hasn't been hunted down and executed already by a kill squad from just crimes against humanity. And every time we talk about it it pisses me off. Because if I again this goes back to the conversation I had on Friday night. If Trump was in charge, first thing I would have done, first order I would have given, somebody go hunt down Bill Gates and execute that motherfucker for crimes against humanity. Today, get it done. Get out of my face. It should have gone that fast. But that's what people are starting to realize that the people that should be executed are not it's not the innocence on the ground and you know I said last night because I got that question about the bombing of the hospital or the errant missile it doesn't matter who fired the shot what matters is the messaging that goes out after that and first it was a bomb then there was the JDM sound then there was the the errant rocket video it doesn't matter what matters is what does the public believe? Because that's the message they're going to run with. And that's the that's the emotional event that they're going to run down the road with. And we're seeing more and more people 24 hours, waiting 24 hours to see what the real story is before they react. And I've seen more and more people doing that because they're starting to realize that everything they see from the mainstream media is bullshit. So those are all good movements in the right direction. Uh, I Dave, I know you got a, a bunch of thoughts on this, so I'm, I'm just going to let you
2: let you go. All right. Good evening. Good to be on. Um, first of all, I, I agree with everything you guys are talking about. And Troop, I think you make an excellent point. We're trying to be forced into this this position where it's almost like we have to make a decision and pick a side or else. And we don't. We really don't need to do that. But the point I want to make is this. This most people looking at what's going on in the Middle East with Israel and Hamas have a very myopic view of the situation. And what I would advise is zoom out, take a look from the 50,000 foot level, because this is just the latest line of effort in the the competition between the BRIC, the, 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 the uh, Belt and Road Initiative crowd, Russia China, India, et cetera, and the Anglo-Venetian uh, deep state people running things out of city of London. And so from a larger geopolitical perspective, um, there's, there's a lot of things to look at. And I'll mention right out of the gate, you've got people talking about what's going on in Georgia to a lesser extent. And if you haven't heard, they, they arrested some people this past week numerous people involved in an insurgent effort, preparing explosives, munitions, all kinds of uh, terrorist uh, capabilities they clamp down on. Other people are talking about a potential uh, second color revolution going on in Georgia. So you've got Georgia as one entity in one situation. Go to another entity, look at uh, Nagorno-Karabakh and Azerbaijan. I mean, this was really the first place that we saw all these drones being utilized effectively against dug-in artillery positions and dug-in tanks, et cetera. But that situation was generated a couple of years ago. Um, I mean, it's really gone on for years and years, but it heats up and cools down. And so they ignite that when they want to. Then you have the major infrastructure deals that are going on. And this is really at the heart of the situation. You've got the north-south road that China and Russia India and 14 other countries are collaborating on, you have this central belt of, of uh, energy, uh, energy systems. Well, for example, uh, natural gas and, uh, and oil all around the Caspian Basin. So, and then you look off the coast of Gaza, there was a large oil discovery made recently. Uh, A number of other places, there's a lot of fossil fuels um, available within that particular region. And so what I'm getting at is they are building um, all kinds of infrastructure to connect all of these entities and distribute these resources 15 times more efficiently than we can do that now. So they're going to they're going to control if if Russia, China and the Belt and Road crowd are successful. They're going to control what will become essentially the richest natural resources uh, intersection, if you will, on our planet. And so when we take a look at what's going on in uh, and I'm talking about high speed rail, I'm talking about waterways, I'm talking about highways. And incidentally, all of that infrastructure is not just extending in the Middle East and over to the east, but critically will reach down into the heart of Africa. And so you'll see a number of nations climbing on board in Africa itself. So in terms of uh, geopolitical uh, influence and uh, uh, lines of communication and and greater power base, you see a lot of things with the potential to change. Now, in the face of this, what do we see? We see the globalists trying to fight this tooth and nail, and they have successfully for about 15 years. This has been an on-again, off-again type this, of effort. Th-
0: this is where I disagree with you because they are working hand in hand with the Chinese in South America and Central America.
2: I, I, th- I North think North there's areas where they cooperate and I think there's areas where they don't. I, I don't yeah, I this
0: let's agree to disagree on this one because what I see Abbott doing and what I see here at Mesa Gateway and these ports of call that they've spent the last three to four years building and what what you know there's there's literally specific um, ge- geographic places that they've been with globalists and the Chinese have been working together. And and I say that because I, I look at what's been happening in California and Washington State, the deep connections to the Chinese. I mean, Gavin Newsom is a globalist tied to the World Economic Forum, but he's working hand in hand with China to build these these mega ports in San Francisco, and I agree. I understand,
2: I understand, and I understand the logic of what you're saying, but, but we could also agree that one of the greatest fears that the globalists have is losing their dominion over the fossil fuels on this planet.
0: I agree with and, that too.
2: And if these efforts are successful, um, you're going to have Russia, India, and a number of other countries—not just China—that um, have a great deal more to say in that realm, a great deal more influence. And it's gonna cut the legs out from under what has been uh, heretofore pretty much a, uh, a monopoly on the part of, of the Western powers that be.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree. I think, you know, um, all roads lead back to resources. And the Chinese took a, a play out of our playbook after World War II where we went around the, the planet and we were absorbing mineral rights, water rights, resource rights. And I think the plan in Afghanistan was to do the same thing. Um, but China usurped that and, and was able to infiltrate the US in, in a way that allowed them to get Biden to hand off. And uh, to answer a question that was in, uh, in the uh, Surf in the Universe, to answer your question, there are, Chi- there are teams of Chinese all over the country. There's one that lives right down the street from me, literally right around the corner. And they don't speak a word of English. They all wear the same clothes. They all drive the same vehicles. They, they act like they're Americans, but none of them speak English. And I just to stare down with them, I don't know, three, four days ago. And then, then again this morning, they know who I am. I know who they are, and you're going to see more and more of that because they've been coming across in teams. According to Michael Young, they've been coming across in teams for the past year and a half, and they're not the only ones. He was talking about Iranians. He was talking about Chechens. He was talking about a number of different nationalities that are coming across in teams, and they're all dressed the same when they when they get into Mexico and then when they get to the border, there's a UN station in the border or a camp that issues them new clothes, new ID, and then they just walk across the border. And last, I think it was yesterday, I think it was yesterday, he said that 16,000 military-aged males came across the border just in the last week, and they weren't even touched by Border Patrol. So the numbers we're even hearing are are complete nonsense. And they are, they're here. Which is why I keep saying to everyone, you know, be situationally aware of who's around you. Be ready for any contingency, meaning most people should be armed now. If you learned anything from this this theater that ha- that happened in Israel, they stood down the Israeli army and they let these guys, you know, go out into the public and create chaos. I want you to imagine a shooter on the freeway, a shooter on the street, shooter on the off ramp and you're in your car on the freeway stuck. That's the kind of chaos they want to wreak. Even the threat of an IED on a freeway would, would shut down an entire city. You have to think in those terms because this is what's coming. It's not going to be this, this nice, hey, you know, it happened over here in, in Glendale, but I'm in Peoria. No. It's going to happen everywhere at once. There's 15 million plus in this country spread throughout the United States. You have to look at this from a kinetic perspective. This is going to be violence on a level Americans have never seen. And if if dinner last night told me anything, it's that there's still a, a portion of the population that is blissfully unaware of what's about to hit them. And that's the unfortunate part of it. But for the 150 to 200 million Americans that are awake and paying attention, they're going to be ready. That's that's what I would say about that. But keep keep your eye on what's around you. Be situationally aware. Sorry Dave, I did mean that.
2: No, I agree with you 100% on that. And and obviously, you know, I, I I've said this in the past, what's happening in Israel is a dress rehearsal for for what will likely happen here on a vastly larger scale. And if they're let's look, if they're willing to do this, in Israel, and if a guy like Benjamin Netanyahu, who had to be in the know, I mean, based on what we've heard from Egyptian intelligence, you know, tipping off the Israelis 10 days ahead, um, you know, things like that, if if some of those people were willing to bite their tongue and accept casualties of their own people, um, I just have to think they're going to be willing to, to uh, put up with a whole lot more casualties in the United States. And since we're the golden prize, I mean, Israel's a sideshow compared to taking down the United States. It's important in in terms of disrupting things in the Middle East and and that central belt of economic development. But if uh, none of that is nearly as significant as taking the United States Constitution, you know, off off the charter, so to speak. And uh, I mean, that's their ultimate goal, obviously. But I think uh, I think you're right, Steve, we've we got to be ready. And when, you know, you always you get these questions, you know, when's it go time? And like you say, you're going to know when it's go time. The problem is it's going to accelerate very quickly. It's going to be go time, uh, you know, in an instant. And, And you'd better be armed. You'd better be ready.
0: Yeah. And don't take anything for granted. Don't take any situation for granted. You know, one of the things that uh, that I learned overseas really early on is if if your gut's telling you something's wrong, listen to it, because that's 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 your intuition telling you that something's not right. And, you know, it's the unfortunate part about this conversation right now is that. Most people will never fathom, I never fathom maybe even be having this conversation in this country, let alone. That we would be having this conversation at a mass level. But here we are. And if you if you listen to me talk about Daniel Gonzalez's book, Deep Survival, you'll hear me say the same thing I'm going to say right now. Accept the situation you're in, plan accordingly, and make decisions. And that's exactly what I'm doing right now. And that's exactly what you should be doing. Don't be wrapped up in the fear, or the drama, the bullshit. Because all that theater in D.C. around Jim Jordan and the Speaker, I I tuned it out because it doesn't matter. It's just theater. It's distraction. You notice how they're not voting on anything right now, not a continuing resolution, not to fund the government. It's all theater. You know why? Because they're fucking broke. They've sent all the money overseas, and they know it's just a matter of time before the economy collapses. So the only thing they're doing is delay, delay, delay. It's the same tactic they've used for the last three years. Delay, delay. They're not going to make any decisions. They're not going to do anything different. You think Jim Jordan's going to be different than Kevin McCarthy? Kevin McCarthy, he was such a cuck to Nancy Pelosi. He couldn't even take the office. Physically couldn't occupy the office. Definition of a complete fucking beta cuck. My God. And it took a short, a short has been would be near to well replacement to say, hey, bitch, get out of the office. That's how bad it is there. And those guys are going to make a decision. Man. Yeah. We shouldn't be paying attention to any of that. It's all nonsense. The thing that's real is what's in front of you. Who's in your neighborhood? What the fuck are they doing? That that's that's way more important than anything else that's going on in DC. Because there's nothing coming out of there except theft, more theft, more fraud, more theft. So the other thing that um Michael Young talked about today, and 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 Bracken talked about today. Actually, last night. By the way, those two guys are are true patriots. I mean, here's a guy that that's traveling traveling the world to hotspots all over the world, and he is he is steadfast in his belief that this this country's going to survive. Both of them. So that was that was. Uh, it was good to hear because, you know, when you do this long enough and you do this over and over and over every single week, you you can get demoralized. I, I'm not demoralized because I have faith in the American people. Plus, I know there's a lot of people that are that are paying attention right now. But he talked about that there's going to be a concentration of um, resource movement and and people movement into these Uber cities. And they're already starting to architect it in Europe. One of them is, is around um, uh, Brussels and around uh, Antwerp. They want to make that big corridor. They want to make that a major city, like an Uber city. So the next thing we're going to see in the next order of battle is they're going to start creating these Uber cities. And they're already starting to do it. But the interesting part of his conversation, which I didn't really pay attention to until this afternoon, was that the Chinese... Were the first ones to experiment with this migration model. They 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 moved Chinese speakers and um, Mandarin speakers into Hong Kong long before the British ever gave it up. And Hong Kong, it's mainly Cantonese is what they speak. A lot of people think Chinese is a language. is not. There's multiple languages in China. Um, but they they were you know most of them were Cantonese speakers. They weren't. Mandarin speakers. And when Xi took over, he started moving people down to, uh, or even before him, um, they started moving Chinese speakers and Chinese loyalists into into Hong Kong to destabilize. That was the test bed for them to do what they're doing now on a mass scale. And I hadn't thought about it that way until today. Because to me, it doesn't matter what the mechanism is. There's still a weapon system, right? They de- the, the numbers destabilize, the numbers disrupt the logistics, the numbers disrupt the, the energy use, they disrupt all of our food production because they're consuming more. I mean, they, they, they're more than just moving into an area. It's all the, the, the second and or third order effects of moving them in there, that's just as critical as the weapon system itself. And then they can be carriers for disease and a host of other things. But one of the comments he made that I thought was very, very interesting, was that most of the Chinese coming across have money, where none of the others coming across have money. And he's seeing this massive influx of Venezuelans coming up. And he said, I, I actually feel bad for them, because they're going to get screwed five or six times before they even get to the U.S., because I guess this route that they're taking through the Darien Gaps is less perilous than it used to be, but it's still as perilous as it was before, only there's a few more modern conveniences along the way. And we didn't even talk about the human trafficking element. We talked about the the element of just moving people and the, and the issues they have just moving, and the, all of those logistics are going to affect us in, in short period. And we're, where we're going to see it is going to be a, there's going to be famine here. It's going to be food shortages here. That's what Biden was talking about almost two years ago. He's talking about
2: it. Sorry. Steve, one of the one of the things I worry about, I think back to Eric Holder and some of the stuff he was dealing with in terms of gun running, weapons, crossing the border. And I just think, oh, my God, if if the Obama administration started uh, with this plan, because they always plan in long range, very, very far out. So how much how, how many assault rifles, how much ammunition, how much explosives, etc., cetera, could they have laid up in various uh, weapons caches throughout the country? that nobody knows about because it's on private property and well-secured. That's, that's huge question mark, huge question mark. But, uh, but I think it's something people need to be aware of. And uh, because I do think, I think we're in a countdown and I think this countdown will be set to expire sometime short of 2024, November. So,
0: I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. I, I, you know, the here's the interesting, the interesting part of this conversation is, is all of us are a little bit stuck right now because there's so many, there's so many avenues we could go down to discuss, and the thing that, um, and I see the chat blowing up with people talking about bug out bags and how you feel about that, um, troop, but um, the um, the the thing that I I want people to realize is that. You're hearing all this information, and it's a lot to take in. But what it shows is that the the Chinese and the World Economic Forum and the World Economic Forum is using the UN. I, I mean, Michael Yon, if you listen to the interview, he talks about UN camps, and um, he talks about what the UN's doing. And you have to look at the UN as a bunch of, of criminals that were legitimized and put into a legitimate business for the sake of the oligarchs to do their bidding. They're nothing more than that. They haven't been anything more than that for probably 70 years. They're they're the most corrupt organization on the planet. And I've worked with the UN several times. It's always been the same experience. Whoever's paying them the most money is the one that gets the loyalty and gets the attention. Everybody else gets shit on and they commit atrocities and nobody gives a shit once they move in to do peacekeeping. So the UN is just an extension of the World Economic Forum. At the same point, the World Economic Forum was a construct created by Henry Kissinger and the intelligence apparatus to do what they're doing right now to the to the behest of the, you know, the the elites in Europe and the elite the banking elites here in the US. And they're all working together in these loose relationships. So Think of it as just one big snake that's got multiple disconnect points. The thing that we can do and the thing that's important for us to be focused on is to continue to disrupt the relationships in the chain so that eventually one of those relationships will fray and they'll start to fight amongst themselves because when that happens, the whole house of cards will come down and we can't do anything about the 15 million on the ground. We can't change that. We can't change the fact that at some point this will go kinetic because they're not going home. They're being funded by the U.S. government. The Chinese are being funded by the Chinese. And you're right, Dave. They they have weapons caches all over this country. They've They've been planning this for 10 to 12 to 20 years. So assume that they have weapons. This is an armed camp. But I look at it this way. That's more weapons that we'll have and more ammo we'll have once we take it off of their dead bodies. So I'm not really worried about what they have and what they don't have. What I am worried about is the fact that people will be able to um, step back and work together, because I think that's going to be the most critical component of that. And because they've infiltrated every single neighborhood on this on this you know in this country, you're going to have to be very discerning about who you invite into your network. Which is why I was saying that with the sphere of influence, you start with people you know you can trust and count on. And yeah, Anita, I got your your email. A lot of those, some of those are prisons. Some of those, some of those don't exist anymore. I'm I'm looking for somebody who is actually taking a picture of one of these camps. That's that's what I'm looking for. Sorry, I was answering a question. But I, you know, the big picture right now is where we're at because nothing's kicked off. And and I think this, the plan with this Israel thing was to quickly escalate this and then bring Iran into the war. And that hasn't metastasized yet, and it may not metastasize for several weeks. I I was just reading a minute ago that they started ground operations into Gaza, so um, we'll see how that develops. But I'm glad to see that people are starting to wake up to the to the lies and the obfuscation, because that's a that's a massive move in the right direction to, di- to not only disrupt their plans, but it completely dismantles all of their narratives. So I need it's a couple of years old. Um, Troop, one thing I want to talk about today is um, you were talking about the, you were asked to be an admin for this Russian channel. Can you talk to and, and tell everybody what, what, what's, a, uh, what it's about? Cause I think it's, this is a massively positive step. I mean, this is, this is actually pretty cool.
1: So uh, Romanov 92 is his handle on telegram. He is, he calls himself a correspondent but essentially what Romanov does is he sets up first aid bags like combat medic bags and he brings them out to the front and the guy's a total badass he goes out there he's filmed himself you know being shelled being shot at uh working on casualties and really also trying to humanize the conflict The, the same thing I I've been bitching about since the conflict started so if the Ukrainians are wounded and they surrender then they're showing you know the medics are coming in they're treating the Ukrainians the same way they are with the Russians and so we kind of bumped into each other because I'm doing the homeless medic thing and we just kind of started talking and he's read some of my threat analysis which as you guys know has not been favorable to Russia uh you know at times and so him and his admin team looked at that and they're like we're not really sure what really to To do with you, but we want to do something with you. And then a couple of months went by, and they approached me and they said, "Hey, we're going to start a an English channel for uh, for Romanov Light, and we would like you to admin it, write content for it." And so I'm like, "Wow, that's cool." Well, I, you know, you know, I say some pretty salty shit from the hip, and they uh, they're okay with that. So Romanov was approached by basically the Russians Ministry of Truth last last week or the week before. And they basically said, "Hey, cool it," because as a, uh, a correspondent and going out there and seeing the ground truth with the Russian soldiers, he uh, he picked out a, a commander from a rifle brigade. And I I'm I'm going to kind of keep it at a high level, but he he basically said, "This guy fucking sucks. Uh, his men are being taken care of. The morale is shit. They're not getting what they need to fight the war. And oh, there's a lot of crooked stuff going on too. They're taking weapons. They're taking money. They're taking a lot of bullshits going on. Uh, this guy sucks." so within a week of romanov reporting that this commander vanished like that he just hidden whether he stepped down or he quit or he went awol or he got taken out who knows but basically the you know the 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 russian army just removed him from his command and it caught the ire of one of the russian politicians who now was working through the you know their own their own ministries and saying hey you need to shut the fuck up you need to stop talking. You need to stop being critical of of Mother Russia. It's the same thing that that Shlomo Karmi uh, in Israel is doing now, where he's trying to get the Israeli police to arrest Israelis that are speaking out against anything that that may uh, you know may question the narrative of Netanyahu. It's the same exact thing. So i write mainly about the you know not really geopolitical events because i know that ugly arcs are in charge of shit, and every man that's ever fought and died on a piece of land generally was fighting for somebody else's interests and not you know not their own homeland but the the fact that everybody's waking up to that is what matters so this channel or this partnership uh between romanov and myself is just basically my ability to write and it's always a kind of a, an interesting thing when you see things that you write in English translated into Russian and then shared on the Russian channels. <laughs> but uh, Roonov's following in Russia—he has several channels, and his main channel has a, damn near a million followers. And his chat channel has about—I don't know—it's like over ten thousand active users. You could just go away and then come back, and there's there's ten thousand messages in the chat channel. So they're very active, very involved. And, and you have to also realize that Telegram itself is essentially Russian Twitter. So it is it is the primary one of the primary social media uh, platforms that's used in Russia. But the fact that we're getting that visibility and the work that Steve Steve has done and I have done is is getting noticed, and we're starting to build this, these kind of I don't want to say in the military sense, but these multinational coalitions of um, journalists and correspondents and people who are just asking questions. Is scaring the shit out of the establishment. I just I posted a, a thing in uh, in Russian just a just a few uh, moments ago before the show about that. Is if you're asking questions and your own government is trying to silence you, you pretty much know who the enemy is at that point. And it pisses them off because a lot of these social media platforms that we're developing now have a degree of anonymity. Uh, where you, c- you can go out and you seek the truth and you can go out and collaborate with other people and you can go out and talk to people who live in other countries and there's nothing that anybody can do about it and you're seeing a lot of that translate into these massive protests that are occurring mainly in Europe because they're better at protesting than we are but in these organized protests that aren't Black Lives Matter movements they're not violent um, you know riots but people who are, people who are just fucking pissed and they're going, you know what, what you're telling us, government, Pravda, media is bullshit. And we have finally attained a, a sense of self-awareness now that we can see the truth and the light through the, the, the trees of deception that all of the governments in the world have put, put before us. And you're right, uh, Colonel Conrad, On there, two things can be true at once. Uh, as far as the, the national interests of the you know the oligarchs and how they work with uh, with countries and are they working with China or are they not working with China? they could be double dealing with China and people are seeing that too. And a good example of that is the Russia China grain deal. I don't know if you guys saw that hit the, hit the airwaves, but Russia and China just signed a, a multi-year multi-billion dollar grain deal and essentially Russia is going to grow grain for China. China is going to provide, Material support, technology, personnel. Russia has an incredible amount of land. They don't necessarily need sunlight and they don't need seasons anymore because they have unlimited energy or the equivalent of it. And so you could have massive farms that are out in the middle of Siberia that are running 24 7, 365 days a year, running on cheap Russian fuel. And you could generate massive, abundant quantities of not just grains. but other types of nutritious you know fruits and vegetables and whatnot now the greenhouse gas footprint of that running generators or however they would they would power these massive greenhouses that's inconsequential incont- to them right because only americans and and woke europeans and canadians give a shit about esg or greenhouse g- greenhouse gases or, or whatever right as they as they kill us all off but the russians and Chin- uh chinese doing this deal right now is really starting to trigger a lot of questions for Russian and Chinese people because the Chinese don't really see this as a good deal. They see this as a way that Russia could use in the future to force China to be subservient to Russia. Russia still has a, you know, it gives Russia more power and it gives China less power and China doesn't want less power. So what does China have to offer Russia? And let's think about this 10, 15, 20 years from now and as Colonel Conrad said, they were smart enough to start pushing into Africa. They were smart enough to start getting mineral <laughs> leases in Afghanistan. They were smart enough to start building, you know, Belt and Road infrastructure and give Russia the things that Russia wants. So hopefully they'll keep the peace, but there's nothing to stop Russia from establishing their own relationships uh, globally as well. So, I, and I would like your thought on that, uh, Dave, because it's, it's it's an it's an interesting bedfellows considering that Russia and China share a huge border and they're both primarily leading you know leading this uh, the BRICS uh, consortium of countries right now against the United States. I don't necessarily see them damaging the United States because we have the power to uh, generate our own energy indefinitely for our needs, but it is definitely focused on. Their autonomy—that's going to lead, I think, to a, a war between Russia and China, and you know, sometime in the future. Absolutely, but absolutely. A, an it will equi- absolutely be a war. An equivalent focus that what what they what they are both looking for right now is the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and they both want to marginalize the United States. So, if you take Panama and you take the southern tip of South Africa, and now you take the contested areas of the of the uh, the Arctic Sea, which I, I talked about on the last program, I think people are really missing that. Um, you're you're looking at three focus areas in North and South America that the Russians and Chinese are already already boots on the ground and definitely influencing Panama, but influencing South America through Cuba, through their, you know, their relationships with Venezuela and others with, you know, the crooked elections in, in uh, Brazil. Um, Argentina is starting to go offline. Mexico can be influenced. Canada is already corrupted. And now let's look north of Canada. So when you have Regional powers, regional superpowers are able to marginalize. I mean, literally an entire slice of the, the orange as far as the world's concerned. And we happen to be in the middle of it. And then they're, they're bolstering uh, each other's uh, capability, which is a, it's, it's almost like a mutual dependency type of thing, like a codependent relationship. But they have a lot of extremely powerful, extremely well thought out scholarly strategic planning going into what they're doing. And then we have a fucking dotard in charge over here. So that's that's where I see um, our next 10 to 15 years, not not resuming our superpower status, but figuring out how to unfuck ourselves to the point where we can at least work from becoming a a depreciated regional power, which is probably what we're going to be at the end of this. And then working back to some degree of uh, dominance and that degree of dominance from from everything that I'm seeing and everything I'm analyzing is essentially having a three-polar world when we come out of this.
2: Well, remember, you go back to the 1960s, the inter-Asian border between Russia and China was, was a hot combat zone. You had sentries being taken out periodically. You had probing patrols and things like that. It was a very dangerous place. But as Steve points out, you know marriages, marriages of convenience do occur. And, you know, go back to to the idea that these people are going to leverage advantages with, with other countries, regardless of how they feel about them, if it provides them with, with an advantage in a, given, uh, in a given realm. And then on top of that, we, we have to remember, go back to pawns in the game. You know, you think back to Adolf Hitler and his original relationship that the oligarchs had set up for him was was one where he was the junior partner to uh, Great Britain. And what happened was there was a transition because the German military became much more efficient with their use of Blitzkrieg. Uh, the fact that they became industrialized at the right time, the type of weaponry they had, and, and most of all, their ability to employ, employ it on a large scale. And I say that again simply because we have not seen that in, in the Russian army or the Ukrainian army but uh, the point I'm making is this we've got we've got to keep in mind that the situation is always fluid, always dynamic and always able to change if one of those nations uh, sees an opportunity and so if China at one level is working with, with Russia in developing, uh, these Arctic sea lanes and some of this, this North South, uh, highway lines of communication in, in, uh, in the Caspian sea basin area, then they're going to proceed because if they can oversee those areas, it gives them influence. And, you know, look at the United States Navy. United States Navy has exercised more influence than anyone on the planet because we've controlled all of the sea lanes of communications literally for the last three quarters of a century. And that's part of what they're seeking to do. So, you know, China might very well be happy to be in lockstep with Russia on certain things and be in lockstep in doing things that diminish the United States, its chief global economic competitor, uh and doing so with people in the deep state but pivot on a dime if if they see other opportunities for them to excel very much in a way that adolf hitler determined hey i don't need to be the junior partner here i can i can take advantage of the situation and change and, the whole equation and i and i would
0: add to that dave that china is a net importer of almost everything they their their natural resource level is they they offer cheap labor you know mass production part of us getting back on our feet is going to be bringing production back here and our the ability to go from resource to finished product in one go here and you know to answer the question on the illegals because i've my my phone's been blown up too is the illegals are here to stay we're not going to deport them a lot of them are going to die in the conflict that's ahead Some of them will become members of our society. What we need to get back to is what Russia is doing right now. If you go to Russia and you want to be a Russian citizen, you basically have less than 12 months to learn Russian and to be fluent in Russian history because there's an exam. You fail the exam, you're out. We used to do that here. We used to force people to take legitimate tests on American history and integrate to American society. We have to get back to doing that. And civics, there. yeah, and well, we have to teach civics, <laughs> and that means we have to fire and execute all the communists that are in our education system. But part of us getting back to a place where we have we have things that uh, people want to come here for is we have to get back to a, a you know a society that's based on a belief system and, and ideology, and that's you know. I want to circle back to something you said, True, because I think this is a very salient point for everybody to pay attention to. A Russian national asked an American to run the English speaking version of his channel to spread the word about what he's doing as a medic. That is the that is the elite's worst fucking fear right there. Collaboration among the masses on on things that affect people. And their ability to manipulate and control people.
1: And that's the irony that we're both Cold War soldiers on on the other side of the you know he, he was on the back of the Iron Curtain and we were on the other side of it. Absolutely. Uh, you yeah. know that yeah, that's like literally their worst nightmare.
0: Well, and like and literally, um, my conversation with Daniel Estelin, former KGB agent, we both said the same thing. Nobody's going to sign up for this bullshit. The reason why we're seeing mass migration, especially from South America, Central America. And impoverished nations is they see opportunity here still. And they, they, they like, if you're Venezuelan, you have nothing to lose because there is nothing in that country except starvation, death, and unemployment. So they're coming here on, on the, the guys in hopes that they're going to have a land, a land of opportunity. What we need to do as a country is pick leaders that can articulate a thought that can build plans and coalitions that can lead the country. And it's good. People are going to be pissed when I say this, but Trump's good at a lot of things, but Trump's not that guy to lead people. He's going to be the guy that gets us back on our feet. We need somebody after Trump. This is, this is something that most people don't think about what happens after Trump. It's not DeSantis. It's not Nikki Haley. I hope she gets shot long before that ever happens for treason, but it has to be somebody that, that literally gets the whole picture and can bring everybody together on the big picture and lead them towards that outcome. Because you have to bring all the people that have been imported in this country, the people that are in this country, and move them in a direction where they're all working together. And that's going to be very, very hard to do given the situation that we're about to go through. Either way, Somebody has to lead the country out of this, and it's going to take a very charismatic and a very intelligent person to be able to do that. Trump's intelligent, but he's only going to get four more years to do it. And if he gets six years and lives through it, you know, okay, great. But somebody has to come after him. We have to stop this myopic view of the next three to four or two years. We need to start looking at 10 to 20 years. It's going to take 10 to 15 years to unwind all the shit that these people have done in the last two years. And then once we unwind all of that and we're unwinding our education system and all of our institutions and rebuilding all our institutions, we're gonna have to bring industry back to this country to where we produce things other than weapons. We have to turn um, tank production into, into farm production. We have to get back to that. We never did that after World War II. We just kept this juggernaut of the defense industrial complex and we never transitioned from a wartime economy. We just stayed in a wartime economy for another fifty years. We have to transition out of this. Though, so in fact, part of the vitriol you're seeing across the planet is not—it's not for the fact that there, there's yet another war. It's people want to get back to a to a normal life and get away from this war footing and this crisis management. And more importantly, the world is sick of these despotic, tyrannical middle management dictators that they put in place all over the planet that's what they want to do more of people are like we're not doing this anymore we 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 listen to your bullshit we tried your bullshit now we're going to do something else the only thing missing from this entire situation is the catalyst that unites the planet and they go after the leadership that day is coming i'm telling you it's coming
2: Steve, one of the dynamics we have to keep in mind, and I agree with you in terms of leadership, we do need to look much further ahead. But one of the dynamics we need to keep in mind is that we're going to need to decentralize, that is diminish the role of central government. A lot of these large institutions and things like this that were never envisioned in the constitution, the Frankenstein state, so to speak, has to be diminished and demantled or uh, uh, dismantle, excuse me. And so this is a bit of a contradictory situation because you're gonna want local leadership at the state level. We're gonna be a much stronger nation. You're always talking about, you know, sphere of influence, line of sight. We're gonna be a much stronger nation if we go back to the original vision uh, and how, how the nation was under the founders with individual states. Because the the level of corruption that always happens when you get these super strong centralized uh, entities is just, it's too great for most people to resist. You know, George Washington, uh, you know, turned down essentially being royalty and, and maintained his presidency in a somewhat diminished status and and king george recognized him and said he truly is you know the greatest man on the planet if he could resist that and so finding someone that can tie together the various states um, and as you say be charismatic and excellent in the strategic leadership role uh, but not be so overwhelming um that that they they uh bring too many resources too close to themselves, and we generate the same situation that got us in this in this uh, circumstance to begin with.
0: Yeah, it's got to be if people you, rooted in selfless service. That's like you know, people have, have said to me, you know, you should run for office. I'm like, first of all, I'm not a politician. I could never be the president of the United States. Now, Secretary of Defense, absolutely, and I guarantee you that everybody in DOD would be scared scared shitless when I showed up because it would be it would be an ass kicking for the next 2 years until we got back to a war footing and we had a military that was strong and trained and we had army leadership and we had you know marine leadership that were focused on combat and developing combat skills not this nonsense that we have now and finding that right person i think is going to be extremely extremely important and it can't come from the the Part of the the other problem we have in finding that leader is that we have an establishment that hates the American public. We have to get rid of all these people. These people have to be completely stripped of their wealth. They have to be they have to be um, pushed into oblivion in one way, shape, or form. And I, and I know I'm talking very jacronian, but the establishment that we have in place right now, especially the elite in the Republican Party, if we're going to stick with a two-party system, they all have to go. They hate the base. You can't have a party and bring leadership forward when you have this system that's so corrupt that you can't put anybody that's that's worth their you know worth their salt in front of the American public because they're so heavily manipulated and controlled. That whole system of control has to be completely dismantled, and I, that's going to take probably ten years to do it. And we need an interim leader in that time that can lead the country that is just like George Washington, doesn't want that power. I mean, the the fundamental way we operate under the Constitution has to change. Constitution doesn't have to change, but we as a society have to change. All those, those you know, CFRs and those, those um, rules and those regulations that have been put in place, especially in the last 10 years since Obama's been around, all of that has to be dismantled, especially the EPA. The EPA is trying to literally regulate water filters, so they can fucking control the water supply. That ha- all that, all of those regulations, all those rules, like the ATF, all those things, didn't go away. You can't, you can't put somebody in there that doesn't have the stones and doesn't have the charisma to influence people why these are good decisions. And it's gonna, you know, politics is messy. And, and diplomacy is messy. It takes a long time. It's very, it's very disjointed. But the deal-making situation we have now that can't survive. That has to die, because the deal-making that we've been doing since the early '60s has, has led us to oblivion. And it's led to this this uber elite of basically Roman citizens that think they're better than everybody else. And and we literally look like the Roman Empire right now just before its collapse it's amazing the parallels but you see where we're going with that right i'll bet long-winded but we're we're, we have to put somebody in transition after trump that can get us through that hump without wanting to stay and be the the emperor because that's really what would you know we're in that washington moment again at least that's the way i see it given our current situation i don't know am i crazy
2: no, I think, I think you're spot on. It's going to take, well, go back to what Benjamin Franklin said, you know, when he talked about the characteristics of, of what they were trying to achieve. And he said, you know, a Republic, if you can keep it, he also admonished people that you have to have, uh, you have to have citizens of strong moral character. Yep people interested in doing the right thing, in learning the right things, if they didn't know the right things. And, you know, responsible citizenship is what I'm talking about. And, you know, when you take a look at the nature of our country right now, that seems like a pretty enormous stretch, in my opinion. Um, well, I think part of that's education, right?
0: Our, the, the millennials and the the Gen Xers and and some of the Gen Zs, They've never really learned the history of this country. And and I'm sure that there's, and, and every time I say this, I get this, this flood of traffic about all of our history is bullshit. We have to get to the bottom of what, what our real history is, what really transpired from 1776 until now that's, that's real, that hasn't been, you know, doctored or, or obfuscated or rewritten. We have to get to that level. And that's going to take time to get there, but we still have to teach. We have to teach civics. We have to, because that's the, that's the basis for people understanding what a Republic is. Most people think we're a democracy. I, I had this discussion uh, about two weeks ago with somebody that said, we live in a democracy. I'm like, you're no. fucking moral. We live in a constitutional Republic. You don't even know what that means. Go read Correct. a book. God it's it's my well like i said last night at dinner i was shocked at how many people are blissfully unaware and stupid but you know that's just the population that's that wants to be back to normal and they'll go back to normal any cost to preserve the system that they were comfortable with i i firmly believe that what's ahead of us is going to make us a, a way stronger country than we started out as because look after world war ii we had a we had a You know, a couple of million people come back to society after seeing the worst things ever, and they came back to society dedicated not to do it again. A lot of them just wanted to go live a quiet life, but there was a group of them that literally set out to make sure it never happened again. And the piece that we need to cut out of this next iteration is fucking lawyers. Lawyers aren't going to run anything. They're not going to be in positions of power. They're not going to be in the position to influence anybody. Lobbyists are going to be an endangered species, along with super PACs and all of these these NGOs and think think tanks. We have to outlaw foreign ownership in our country and foreign investment, and we have to get back to our roots. And, And that's going to take a very strong leader to do that, because... And I think part of it's going to happen organically because the population is going to be like, we're not doing this again. And if you look at what the NGOs are doing right now and the lobbyists are doing right now, I'm surprised they haven't already been shot. It's it's amazing to me the the level of just blatant corruption that's going on in the public space. Right? I like that that sideshow today in in D.C. You know what that that bullshit was all about today? That's the further of the narrative that we need to pa- bring the Palestinians here so they can escape the persecution that's going on at the hands of the Jews. That was carefully crafted and architected messaging that started with Nick Le- Nikki Haley, a neocon and a globalist and a cuck to the fucking Israelis, that... Sent the message in the first place. It was followed up by Biden today. And then they, they paid this, this sideshow to show up at the Capitol. None of them are going to prison, by the way. It's not a January 6th insurrection. It's just a movement of protest. That whole show was to justify bringing them here. And they're probably already doing it right now, which just gets under my skin like nobody's business. Because how are they getting here? Well, they're probably putting them on military transports and flying them in right now. And that the part that pisses me off about that is there's not one fucking general officer with a dick to stand up and go, We're not doing that. Oh God, it just I'm just you, incensed over it.
2: You saw the king of Jordan stand up yesterday and say, No, no, we're not letting them come here. We're not letting them, you know, go into Egypt. We're not letting them go other places in the Middle Nobody East. Nobody wants them. Nobody wants them.
0: Well, you got to ask your question, and you have to ask the question: Why doesn't anybody in the Arab world want them? This is the this is the hypocrisy of the whole thing, right? Everybody hates the Palestinians, but they all use them as a mechanism and a justification to do their their stupidity. But then, when it comes time for them to take ownership for it, uh, no, we can't do that. It's the whole thing is just a it's a sideshow to bring the Palestinians here. That's all this was about in the first place. Not to mention to start a wider war. I, you know, it's it's, the the first the first time I heard about it, the the first comment that came out of my mouth is they're going to level Gaza and they're going to move, they're going to relocate every one of them, and that's what's going to happen. Some of them will go to the West Bank, but aponder and some of them will come here. I think it's one point four million people there. Well, one point four minus what two thousand now, so one point three nine eight eight eight. So it's it's stupid it's just it the whole thing is just a facade to bring them here and you know that's 20 million people they brought into the country and you know who's behind that i can tell you exactly who's behind that barry barry is the guy that architected this and stole this from the chinese and i just can't wait till he's tried for treason him and brennan yeah, this whole thing reeks of of iran and and barry that's that's how i see it and Mossad knew about it. They allowed it to happen. They don't. They don't care how many Palestinians they burn in the process to get it done. That's that's the game. So,
2: anyway, Any, I know you
0: got other thoughts on that.
2: Well, I don't know how much Barry actually controls at this point. I think he's been marginalized to some degree. But by the same token, you know, you have to ask yourself who's actually driving things. And I, I think the answer to that question is essentially people that we don't know, we wouldn't recognize uh, sitting in very secure places on high. And, you know, one of the other things we have to ask ourselves is what's, what's the long-term plans that are in effect right now? What's the intermediate plans that we're seeing, uh, you know, being rolled out? And, and what's the short-term goals that are, that are being driven towards uh, right in our face? It's, it's obviously going to take some massive structural changes institutionally within this country um, to correct the situation. I mean, you, the entire educational apparatus is dominated by liberals. So how do you change that? How do you balance out uh, and, and get an equal number of conservatives who are willing to tell the truth? into those institutions of higher education well i think and, the first way you do that is you get rid of the school boards
0: you get rid of you get rid of the state school superintendents and you get rid of the state school apparatus and then you dismantle the federal apparatus because they, they've used they've weaponized that to get rid of any conservatives in the system and push them out through parochial uh, mechanisms and it's it's worked effectively in the last 2 years and then the school boards were the buffer to keep all of these these gay trans agendas in place all of that needs to be dismantled it needs to be district by district and the districts don't can't be talking to each other and collaborating but more importantly there shouldn't be anybody like bill gates injecting anything into the system which is where all of this started the real transition is when he he started because remember Gates was in education first, then he got into pharmaceuticals. now he's in food production. The, everything that motherfucker touches turns into a complete quagmire. But the other thing that needs to go is the the union and the the way teachers are brought into um, tenure because that whole process is it's just criminal because it's a, it, what it promotes is a popularity contest. And, you know, groupthink and all of those mechanisms for keeping teachers in, in positions once they get tenure in that parochial school system, all of that needs to be completely fucking dismantled. And then on top of that, teachers need to be paid a living wage so they're enticed to, to go do that work. That's the other part of the problem is the wages are so, you know, a, a new teacher makes 20 or 30 grand a year. You can't live on that in this in this economy.
2: No, and and we need to take a look. You're talking. What you're talking about is essentially grades, you know, K through 12. And I agree in essence to what you're saying, but what I'm what I'm getting at is how do we how do we build the infra? How do we build the the uh, population of conservative professors in institutions of higher education? Because they already we have not... exist. We just need to bring them back and let them build a
0: system that promotes and. And rewards people for, um,
2: t- you know, teaching the, the the right things the right way. Because you think got- there's yeah. that many conservative professors out there because we've been you know three generations where that's that's been discouraged. I you know i i
0: know a lot of i know a lot of guys that are like you and I that did a career and want to go in and do education. I know a lot of guys that are conservative that would that would do it right now. Most of them have. And that's the other thing too, is we can do away with this requirement that you have to be a fucking PhD to go teach college. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And what does a professor do anyway? They they teach one or two classes a day and then they go write papers and, you know, they write papers and, and articles to stay quote unquote relevant. We need to change the entire structure of that. Most of them have come out of, most of them came out of, their primary education. They went to college, then they went to got their masters, then they got their PhD, then they started teaching. Most of them haven't done shit. Most of them don't know how to do shit. Most yeah, they of live them...
2: on. They live on publisher parish.
0: Oh, absolutely, and that's their whole their whole exist. They they haven't. This is and this is why I've said so many times on my sit reps that you never let an academic, you never put an academic in charge of anything operational because it becomes a cluster in less than six seconds. Because they don't know how to do anything. Most of the academics in the education system have never done anything. Have you ever talked to one of them about how a business really works? And how how much money it takes to get a product in-house and out the door? Or to build a product? They don't have any fucking idea. They don't even know. They don't know shit about resource movement. And you start talking about it. like I, When I was in school, I sold engine parts. And, and, I, and I worked for a buddy of mine who was he sold engine parts to warehouses and you know i'd go around the state and i would um you know i would help him do stuff and and when i first started i was just doing inventory with him and i was helping him move product but watching him go through and learning how he how that system worked and how parts came from uh oems and from manufacturers to the store like AutoZone and some of the others it was a very very it was intriguing for me because it was it was a completely foreign thing but when i try to explain it to a professor how it really worked and how everything was based on demand at the store like a store didn't just go i need one of everything they looked at what was selling and they would they would stock those things like like at the time it was chevy 350s and ford 351s that was that was in the 80s those were the two popular engines then the ford taurus came around in the 90s and it was the six cylinders and then, you know, now it's computer parts and a lot of cosmetic things. It's the stores have changed completely since the 80s. But you try to explain that to a fucking professor and it's like talking to a chimp. Here's another banana. Shut the fuck up and listen to what I'm saying and write it down on a pad and repeat exactly what I say and don't ask any questions because you're too stupid to understand this. I mean, that's literally what it felt like. And, you know, and I I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, the, 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 the guy that went out there and fulfilled it all. And I, I could tell you that you talk these guys running warehouses now; those warehouses don't exist anymore. It's right from manufacturer to the store now because of of O'Reilly, because of AutoZone, and some of the chain stores. They've consolidated, and now the independents are all almost all gone. There's maybe one or two. And you know, the independent stores in the 80s, I think that's what made the innovation in automotive happen because those guys were doing performance stuff. And and you try to explain any of that to a academic and they're going to argue with you that commercialization is what killed the independents. No, it was regulation. It was, it was the conglomeration of stores and the, and the big, the big chains coming in like shucks and some of the others. I mean, that killed the independent market because they could do stuff at scale that an independent couldn't do. And it's what killed the market. And that's why we're in this position. We are now where you have, you know, 4,200 banks instead of 10,000 banks. You have 6,000 auto parts stores instead of 25,000. You have, you know, four or five gas chain you know, um, fuel chains, in in each each city. And all of that, all of that infrastructure that supports the entire academic <laughs> community and the way that they they climb the ranks, all that has to be it all has to be changed. They need to be rewarded for actually doing science and research and something that adds to society instead of generating bullshit i mean they've become glorified politicians all they generate is bullshit they don't generate anything meaningful it's completely stupid and talking to them is just as exasperating as reading anything they write Mm because it's not based on the experience they have and the, the folks that i'm talking about these guys have been in business these guys have actually run businesses They've run brick and mortar, they've run tech companies, and they want to go teach. And the barrier to
2: them is the fact that they're not PhDs. Well, part of, part of the solution lies in the nature of reconstructing this country, right? We're going to need a lot more trade schools. We're going to need people who know how to actually do things with their hands, how to build things for real, right? And we've got to de-emphasize the big box stores. And, and I think you would see with, with uh, things distributed and, and greater power concentrated at the state level, you would see a greater emphasis on new startups and people filling the gaps uh, with, filling the market with uh, perceived needs, looking at opportunities and creating new businesses and new ways of doing things. I think Americans are inherently the best at doing those kinds of things and I think so part of that will be a natural outgrowth of the circumstance of, of rebuilding after whatever cataclysmic uh, event we're, we're going to face in the next you know, year or a couple of years. But as you and I have said, it's going to take a while to get through that and it's, it's going to be a stepwise process. So, you know, I brought up education because it's one critical component because it helps prepare us and prepare future generations for problem solving further down the line. But in the meantime, you know, what's going to happen at the international level in terms of energy? Are we going to start to see, um, you know, some of these uh, high tech systems finally get rolled out in other words vastly superior vastly more proficient or i should say more efficient engines generators things like that are we going to see cold fusion
0: we're not not going to see that
2: before before this ends we will see that after on the other side of
0: this because the people that are controlling the system now have to be removed for those technologies to be disclosed to the public and to be to be really promoted, I mean, they're talking about going back to hydrogen again. Remember, remember all that bullshit in two thousand around hydrogen's going to going to replace gas. And we're going to have hydrogen cars. You're you're going to have cars that go, you know, six thousand miles on a tank of hydrogen. It's the smallest molecule in the world. What was the problem with it? One, it had to be under pressure. Two, it had to be cold. And three, it was highly explosive. What could possibly go wrong in a car? <laughs> My God. And now we're back to talking about hydrogen again. And it's because the same people don't want the technology released. Until some bombs go down some fucking air shafts and people just stop breathing in, in, in the elite circles, that this technology is not going to be released. The only way it's going to be released is after these people are removed and we discover that this technology was buried and we start to bring it to the light and let people innovate on it and build it in mass, and then we will see the world change, but again, therein we're back into the same cycle of dysfunction because then we have to have controls in place so that you don't create somebody like an iRobot, where you have the biggest, you know, uh, ro- robotics company in the world that controls everyone because they're uber rich. You know, the 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 problem of our generation is the child trafficking, pedophilia. The problem of the next generation is how to manage the Uber technologies that come out, and the ability to propagate those technologies, and at the same time, they're going to have to solve the political, ethnic, religious, and cultural differences across the planet. Because you cannot take this shit to space; you just cannot. And I, you know, if somebody is, if you have a a species that can travel across the, you, you know, universes to get to the 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 planet i guarantee you they don't have any of the same nonsense that we have going on in our planet and if we want to put our best foot forward once these technologies are released we're going to have to solve all those problems all at once and that's that's beyond you and ours you and my, you and my lifespan we may see the tech but i
2: doubt we're going to be able to influence how it's implemented No, I I agree, but I do think there will be a lot of surprises. I think when you take a look, for example, at the field of medicine alone, you're going to see the emergence of of treatments and uh, medications and other things that are, uh, instead of being perverted for use against us, um, adapting, let's just say the system needs to adapt a posture of problem solving with outstanding diagnostic capabilities. Today the entire medical community is, is boiled down to a business model. Yeah. And it's it's actually for for several years it's been more difficult to get into dental school than to get into medical school. And I'm told this by a, a friend of mine that a been a you know dental school professor. And so, uh, why is that? Well, it's the market shaping things because the insurance industry has made things much less lucrative for the individual physicians, uh, really skilled people that used to have to compete to get into cardiac surgery uh, you know programs um, no longer well they're not they're they're having a hard time getting people into those chairs. They've got more chairs available in programs than they've got applicants in, in many cases. And so, you know, you're seeing a degradation uh from the best and brightest to uh you know more or less mediocrity, if you will. Yeah. And so the market the market drives a great many, many aspects of this. Unfortunately, you know what we've well, seen. Some in- of that's
0: regulatory too, right? We have to dismantle all these bullshit regulations that have prevented innovation and prevented um growth in those sectors right and th- the other side of it is we have to solve the healthcare problem once and for all too because the insurance companies are what killed the healthcare you know turned the healthcare industry into a business and turned it into a for-profit situation we have to it's like education we have to fundamentally look at it a different way in order to solve that problem and there's just i i this is where I think there's not enough doctors in the system right now that can step back. Because I, I could tell you I'm in the healthcare industry right now and I've literally been, been dealing with AI situations and AI companies for the last three months because healthcare providers are expensive. And, you know, in the in the radiology and imaging space, it, it takes it's throughput. So you pay a doctor $200,000 a year they have to read a certain amount of scans every single day and that number increases every single day and there's only so much human eyes can do for so many hours before you start making mistakes. AI can can do that 24/7 and reduce the cost and be operating 24/7 whereas a doctor can't be. So you know AI and the danger of AI too is misreads, errors, etc. and you know, we have to fundamentally look at the way we structure healthcare in the future, not just from a, a doctor education practice standpoint and, and profit motive, but we have to look at it from the perspective of what what problem are we trying to solve? Because I, I think the other part of the technology that's been hidden is, you know, the cure for cancer. I think it's been out there for years. I think there's been a lot of engineered and Either biologically or biochemistry engineered human ailments. I think there's ailments that come out of the food chain. I think I think germ theory in and as, in and of itself is going to go away in the next five years, and I think you'll see a fundamental shift just from that.
2: Well, it's interesting you mentioned that. I just finished a book called Bitten, and it was essentially written by uh, an author who was a you know professional writer, but she and her husband had suffered tremendously with Lyme's disease and all of that was was uh, uh, something that generated out of uh, something all of that was something generated out of uh, you know Fort Detrick, Maryland essentially. And the irony to it was that Russia had paid off some of these people apparently and that they had uh, you know got their own forms of Lyme disease, weaponized that, and made it even worse. So if you get Lyme's disease, over in russia it's even worse than you know health-wise than in the states so there's a lot of there's a lot of things we've got to untangle and and hopefully clean up not just in the united states but internationally
0: yeah but i think we need to lead the way we need we need to be the the ones that and and i want to clarify something before this you know people go viral with this too We're not talking about reforming capitalism. We're talking about reforming the institution of medicine. So it's centered on patient care and it's centered on, um, helping people and restoring the Hippocratic oath, not this abomination of what we have now.
2: And by the the way, the the Hippocrat, I just, I don't mean to interrupt you, but from what I was told, the Hippocratic oath hasn't been given since uh or administered at, at med school graduation since like 2011 think about that again another obama <laughs> fucking action
0: that's t- all of this is a plan all of this all of this is a plan. i'm waiting for the truth to come out that barry was the true manchurian candidate i'm waiting for it because he was of course. People are saying Biden is, but no, it's fucking Barry. And I want to see that motherfucker swing from a rope. And I, I wanna see him I wanna see him and Big Mike called out for all the damage they did in the eight years they were in office because they did a ton of damage. And I I could but I problem is it's been a long day and I, I could go on a dozen different rants right now. That sideshow in Congress today just pissed me off to no end because I see right through it exactly what it is. Bunch of paid actors show up. All of the all of the congressmen and the legislator running, oh my God, it's another insurrection! A bunch of drama queens, plays to the press, the Americans buy into it. Yeah, we need to save the Palestinians. We need to bring them here. Only problem is I like, think most Americans are like, fuck them. We're not bringing them here. We don't want them here. We got enough people that have been brought in. But that's the game and it just pisses me off so i i, I any final thoughts because i know we're over an hour and a half and i try and keep this an hour and a half it goes quick now doesn't it
2: like so much yeah. going on. there is so much going on and and here's the funny thing uh i've talked to several people just in the last week alone and it's almost like preaching to the choir um and these are not people you would necessarily expect to be aware of things. And yet more and more people, which is a great thing, are becoming aware. And uh, you don't have to explain as many things to to a lot of folks. Uh, these, are, these are often ordinary folks, but they're very much aware that uh, we're on the verge of a real turning point and some very bad things. And uh, like you like to point out, uh, people can feel it. And things are, things are potentially going to accelerate. So uh, get get ready because it's going to come out as fast.
0: Yeah. And uh, granted, I haven't talked to, to Lee Merritt. I I did an interview yesterday with Shridhar Starr uh, that I'm going to post probably tomorrow. I did an interview today with Michael Yawn that I'm going to post tomorrow. So I get, when I get some
2: cycles to to reach out, I will. I, what? I still what group was he?
0: What group was he in?
2: In, I think he was SF, but I don't know what group and what his area specialty was.
0: He was. He told me today, and I can't remember. That's what happens when you spend all day doing this. Um, as soon as I'm sure, as soon as I get off of this, I'll remember. So let me answer the question on T-shirts before we we uh, call tonight. I I got a ton of of God. I got a ton of mail on T-shirts. My God, <laughs> talk about opening Pandera's Pandera's Pandera Pandora's box, but now I can't even speak. Um, Here's my intent with the t-shirts. Troop and I talked about it. Um, What I really want to do with this is I want to create uh, a storefront so that anything we make from the t-shirts goes right to Troop's 501C or 503C for helping the homeless. I, I don't have any interest in making money in this there's some logistics behind it i don't know what it looks like yet but um and and i've got um my artist kid working on putting together um the the design for the shirts so we're already working on it but it's going to probably be another week or two before we get that sorted because i want to make sure that we're funneling money to troops uh to troops cause because i think that's that's where our efforts should be right now and uh, the other thing is is that um about i got asked this so let me ask and let me let me answer this question too um about a year ago captain uh, captain Keshul handed me a, a challenge coin that he had done up for his his stuff he was doing with the elections and um i had a coin made up about i don't know six months ago and i've only handed it out to a limited limited group of people uh, folks are asking about the the challenge coins. Here's here's the deal with challenge coins. Th- those are only going to go to people that have done something to to promote the channel, to to help spread awareness. Like I, I sent one to Alex Craner, I sent one to um, to Sharida, uh, I sent one to um, Tom Luongo, and that's what that's what I'm using those for. So I know there's folks that want those too, uh, but for now, those are going to be um, one of the one of the things that we hand out to folks that are supporting the the getting the message out um, but the t-shirts did definitely i want to make sure that uh, those are those are done to support the uh, troop stuff and uh, it'll be a few more probably another week or two before we get them out so hopefully that answers that question any any final thoughts dave
2: not really appreciate being on i uh, i think we're gonna have to start looking at more specifics with regard to people coming into the country and and uh, you know what what their potential plans may be and what what folks need to be looking for uh, you know I see a lot of questions about that and I see more and more people getting concerned about that so you know that's that's just one area but I think there's a lot of areas for us to explore and uh, you know part of that's just going to be what the headlines say next yeah I don't yeah, I think it's going to be. It's good. it's only going
0: to increase in tempo and in intensity over the next the next two weeks. But I'll say this to everyone: lose the fear. Don't be afraid. Just be aware. Don't don't get don't get wrapped up in this shouldn't be happening. Get wrapped up in this is happening. This is what I'm going to do. That's that's where you start. And let's start there and move move forward with that. And remember, we're going to win this fight. I don't know why I say that. Every fiber in my being tells me that we
2: will. We need to start looking at a plan to co-opt some of these people that have been brought in to work against us to work for us, especially as they wake up and realize that that they've been used as well. Oh,
0: absolutely. I I think that's I think that's going to happen. The more we disclose um, some of the bigger picture of this and where this is leading. Because this thing about moving the, the uh, Palestinians, I hope this this gets traction, so that it's forcing them to another diplomatic resolution, so they don't bring them here. I mean, let's face it, they're going to bring some of them here anyway. That's just how it goes. But yeah, uh, the more we the more we disrupt, the more they're forced to pivot. And uh, metal, I you know. If one team, one fight becomes an extremist slogan, I don't mind being at the top of that list. Fuck them. That's how I look at it. And okay. notice how we haven't heard anything about Maui. Not one thing. Nothing about Ukraine. Yep. Yeah. Funny how that works. God bless everyone. I appreciate everybody jumping on. I I, I appreciate the the tremendous support and kind words. God bless everyone. Have a good ne- Good good evening. One team, one fight. Cool. Have a good night, Steve.